0: You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville Audio Podcast. This week I got to hang out with one of my Foursquare missionary friends. His name is Tim Wimberly. He serves in uh, Cambodia. And uh, so I got to hang out with him a few days this week. And um, it's interesting. So 20 years ago, he started visiting Cambodia on short-term missions trips. He and his family, his church, and... um, There's there's actually a missionary that's uh, that's been in Cambodia for a long time, Ted Ulbricht. And uh, Ted is Foursquare famous, is what I would call it. Um, uh, There's thousands of churches that have sprung up all over Cambodia because he and his family went there over 20 years ago. But um, two years ago, uh, my friend Tim and his wife Dana uh, sold everything. And moved to Cambodia, this place that they had just been going on short term missions, God called them and said, I want you to come and live here. So all their kids were graduated and uh, some of many of them were married off and so they decided to sell everything and moved to Cambodia and they've been there for two years. And I asked him, I said, How's it? He says, It's good being home, he says, but it just feels odd. He says, God has so given us a heart for where we are, it just feels odd being home. And so I was asking him about his family, his kids, his wife. Uh, His wife is still in Cambodia uh, right now. He was home uh, for a little bit. And so I was asking him about things, and I said said to him, I said, so Tim, what's the most amazing thing that you've experienced while you've been in Cambodia? And he says, uh, and he gave me this lady's name, and I can't pronounce it, so I'm not even going to try. But he told me about this little Cambodian woman that uh, he's gotten to know, and that uh, she doesn't read and she doesn't write, but she's uh, planted over 10 churches and she oversees them and oversees a couple thousand people in Cambodia. But she doesn't read and she doesn't write. She has this little, uh, it's like a little speaker, but it's a Bible. And so she can dial up the passage and it, it will read aloud. So she can't read to the congregation, but she'll dial up John 3.16 and it will start in it will it will start say the scripture or it'll continue on if she wants to do a long passage it's the way she reads the bible but it's also the way that she dictates uh, unless she knows it when the things she's memorized obviously she does that but for longer passages like I'll use to talk about from a longer passage today she uses this little thing and i said well that's pretty incredible he said yeah she can't read she can't write but she's an, uh, an amazing leader i said that's I amazing mean, he said that's not the half She said, that's not the amazing part. The amazing part that pretty much everybody that she prays for gets healed. And he said, and that that she already has one documented case of raising the dead to life. Documented. Documented. I'm like, really? He's like, dude. He said, this is an amazing five foot fearless powerhouse woman of God in Cambodia. And she is doing it for the kingdom. And she is the most amazing thing that I have seen in two years. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. You know, we put this in your notes and I'm convinced of it. Our God is the God of the miraculous who desires to manifest his supernatural power in our lives. We're called, equipped, and positioned to experience the miraculous. We are. You know, the verses that are referenced there with uh, in your notes with this quote really reflect the way this little Cambodian woman is living. In Hebrews 4:16 it says, Then let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Listen, if you're going to play hands on the dead and see them raised, you better, you are approaching the throne of grace with confidence. Because it isn't in you. There was no AED, there was no CPR. It was laying on of hands, and that person was raised up. The verse that's there, it says John 14:12. it's also in your notes, and basically it goes on, it said, whoever believes in me will do these works, and it goes on to say that we'll do greater things than that. This little woman is living that out. And then in Romans 4, the other verse that's referenced there, it says that, it goes on to basically say that he's the God who gives life to the dead and calls things into being that we're not. This little woman is living this, but I'm convinced that we we do, that we do can do this too. You know, at Grace Covenant, we've seen and experienced the miraculous, and it seems like it happens more on our missions trips at Grace. We, we do that. But my question is, why doesn't it happen more when we're stateside? Why, why is that? I think to experience the supernatural of God in our lives and through our lives, we have to be willing to step out. We have to be willing to take faith risks. And sometimes, I think there are other reasons, but I would tell you, I think sometimes we're just reticent. We're apprehensive. We're fearful. Just a second. That was awesome. I didn't actually cough in the microphone. This morning, I want to read to you our text, and it's in Luke chapter 5, and you can join along with me uh, if you want. It begins in verse 17, it says this, one day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way in to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof And lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friends, your sins are forgiven. Now the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God, and they were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. This morning, I don't want to talk to you about... uh, Jesus' role in this text, in this passage. I don't want to talk to you about the paralyzed man and his faith in this passage. I don't want to talk to you about the Pharisees and their uh, situations. What I want to focus on is these four friends. I want to dig deeper into these four friends. You see, the paralytic was healed because of the radical response of the four friends. The scripture clearly defines that Jesus responded to their faith. It was their radical risk-taking outrageous response that opened the way for the miraculous. See, the key to the miraculous is always connected to our faith, to our willingness to take a risk and to act on what we're certain of. Hebrews 11:1 says this, "Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see." Listen, if we don't see healing, we have to be faith we have to have the faith of what we don't see yet before it's going to happen. Are you with me? have to be so faith is acting faith is taking a risk faith is knowing uh, what can be by the power of God though it hasn't come into existence yet could it be that we're not seeing the miracles of God today because we are playing it too safe could it be that we're not willing to take risks could it be that we're not willing to step out in a radical faith? Today, I want to talk to you about the challenge of the risk factor, the challenge of playing it uh, a little more risky, a little more wild. Now, I know some of you who've known me for a, more than just a couple of years, you would know that before I was a pastor, I was an accountant. And some of them, you are saying, okay, this is the bean counter talking about being like risky. I have, I have a risk tolerance, I do. My risk tolerance is, more, is actually more than most people uh, that would be have had a career like I do or something like that. You can ask my wife all the time. She's like, well, we're not, can't, we can't do that. I'm like, oh, we can do this. We can do this. Because I have a risk tolerance. Now, granted, one of the things I do is I, I study. I look into things. I do my research, all those kind of things. But when it comes time to, to make the decision, I can make the decision to take a risk. And here's the thing is, I've already studied God. He comes through. It's a a small risk. It's not a big risk. It's a small risk. This morning, this is going to be a little different. Because rather than giving you four statements or four points, oftentimes for us it's like application or things that uh, we want to point out in this scripture. This morning, I'm going to ask you four questions. Our points are questions this morning. Because I think that they're important. They're important that we consider these types of questions if we want to live a life. If we want to see what this little Cambodian woman saw, if we want to see what God can do, we have to step out. We have to be willing to risk. And so this morning, I want to begin with with some with four questions. So I heard someone talk to me this week, and they talked about... Um, Three things. We each have an identity, an image, and a reputation. An identity is what we know and believe or think about ourselves. Our image is what we think others believe about us, or we want them to believe about us. And our reputation is what they really think about us. It's this third one that's a challenge. The first question is this, are we willing to risk our reputation to see God honored and his power revealed? See, my identity about myself, Paul, is that I'm a good leader, I'm getting better as a preacher, and I'm still discovering a prophetic and apostolic gifting that God's placing in my life. I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm still discovering it. Now my image, what I think others may believe, or what I hope others would believe of me, is that I am a smart and good-looking leader. Says the man who ate dog food. Oh. I would like to think that people think I'm a great preacher and a great teacher. And I would like for my image to be that i am living fully in an apostolic and prophetic calling that God has in my life. But my reputation, what others really think about me, I probably should just stop here and just let you just think for a minute. But I recently have had some conversations with people and they've said things to me and about me and what I've heard them say is, You're a very seasoned leader. Uh, You have a voice that's trusted within your church and within the denomination, and that you hear the voice of the Lord. And oftentimes, when you do, it comes out in prophetic and sometimes profound ways. It's that last one reputation. It's my reputation. It's your reputation. It is our reputation that we often are afraid to risk. No one wants to risk their reputation. No one wants to risk their credibility. No one wants to risk their influence. It is not natural that we would just readily risk that. I would, Oftentimes, I would prefer to risk an amount of money than I would my reputation. It's easier for me to go all in on a certain other things than sometimes it is for me to do it with my reputation. I get that. I understand that. People worry. If I step out in faith... With God, if I step out and he doesn't respond in the way that I think he will or the way that I think he should, then what? Then what? I look ridiculous. I look foolish. I look fanatical. I look extreme. I, I listen, I play with those thoughts every day. I've had two instances this week. When God told me to say certain things to individual, and I wrestled with that very thing. You have no idea how hard. It is hard. You think, boy, you, you're the pastor. You don't. No, we struggle with this. I get it. I get it. Are you going to willing, am I willing to risk my reputation? I get it. I get the thought of people who say, I'm not going up on any roofs and cutting holes. I'm not going to step out there and do that. That's that's crazy. But if we take an honest look at our caution, we've actually become more concerned about other people's thoughts and about pleasing them than we have about what God thinks and about how we might please Him. This past week, Have you thought about doing something, but you didn't because you were afraid to risk your reputation? If so, what are you going to do about that? The second big question for us to consider is this, is are we willing to risk our schedules to experience the miraculous of God? Listen, in biblical times, because of lack of modern conveniences, just the daily requirements of food and fire and water and all those kinds of things, that consumed a huge portion of the day. So the idea that carrying a friend through a throng of crowds, the idea of taking him to some place and trying to get in and it's crowded and you can't. So you go to the front door, you can't get in. So they load him up again and they take him to the back door and they can't get in. And so then they, they load him up and they try and find a window and they can't get in. All of that consumes time in a regular day when so many other things are required. But even worse than that, the idea that somehow someone would get the idea and go find a ladder to get on top of a house and then would take the time to peel away someone else's roof and the risk of that, of I just damaged your roof. Listen, if you want in my house, just come and ring the doorbell. You do not have to cut a hole in my ceiling, right? Right? But the time that it would consume to do that, even with a thatched roof, and then to be able to get that person up on the roof and lower him down in, think about the amount of time that that consumes when the daily things of life are schedules, who's whos doing all the other things when this is going on who's handling the daily chores while this is going on who's handling uh taking care of business who's providing for the families lord who's just keeping mama happy happy wife happy life who's doing that while these guys are off doing this thing seizing god opportunities is almost never convenient And I would tell you that I've never found that it easily fit within my to-do list for a day. It always requires something out of my schedule. And if we're not careful, we can become so routine. Listen, I get it. For those of you who have never seen it, it's probably easier for me to show you on my iPad. But if you come and look at my calendar, I have four calendars and should have five calendars on my phone. They're all different color-coded so that I can just keep things straight. I live by the calendar, unfortunately. If I ever call you and say I have a spontaneous moment, that is so unbelievable. But I live to the schedule. So I know what it is to be routine. But if we live so routine and so routinized, we can schedule God right out of our day. We can schedule God right out of our week, and we can schedule his work right out of our life. And still become in the church because it's on the schedule. I believe this. I believe that whatever we give to God, our time, our talent, and our treasure, that he will multiply back to us in spades as the saying goes. Listen, when I deposit my treasure with the Lord, his word is clear He can do more with my remaining finances than I could have ever done with all of it. We know that. But it's the same thing with our time. When we give our time to the Lord, somehow he does the same type of thing. He somehow makes sure that all the critical things on our checklist were handled. Somehow when I give my time to the Lord and I walk slowly through the crowds, listen, that is one of those things, if you ever see me on a beeline, just know that you're seeing me in my natural state. I am like, go get it. There is a one way between two points, and it is a straight line, and it is at twice the normal pace. I have to remind myself often that Jesus walks slowly through the crowds. If I do not take, time, take control of my time, I, I will miss something. I will miss other people, but I have to decide. And when I decide that my schedule is going to yield to his purposes and to his desires, he always multiplies back my effectiveness and my efficiency in ways that I cannot understand and don't make sense. So the thought is this. What God opportunity are you saying no to presently? Because you don't want the inconvenience. Because you you can't seem to justify the time. You don't want to be able to have to explain things to others when somehow it creates delays that affect them. Or it may be even worse. Maybe like me, you've been conditioned to clean your plate and show up on time all the time. So you say, I can't do do that because it will make me late to this, that or the other. If you've got one of those going on, but yet God has got an opportunity for you. What are you going to do about it? The third question we have to ask ourselves is, are we willing to risk our understanding of God to make room for what he might want to do? If we're not careful, we can begin to limit God into our theological boxes that may or may not be so accurate. I have run across a few things for which I cannot explain theologically. You say, well, you're the pastor. So what? There are some things about God that I have seen him do that I, it doesn't fit my box. It, wasn't, it didn't fit what I learned in Sunday school. Jesus tells the paralyzed man your sins are forgiven and it sends the Pharisees into orbit who does he think he is only God can forgive sins but then he just agrees with them you're right only God can forgive sins and then he says which is easier forgive your sins your sins are forgiven or get up and walk Then he says this, but I want you to know that the Son of Man, the word there is hueos, and I'm going to come back to that, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man now, right? This is so crazy. The man says, I want to be, I want my, I want to, I need healing. And he says, Great, your sins are forgiven. And then everybody says, What's this whole thing about sins? And he says, Listen, I want you to know that I can forgive sins too. So he says, so take up your mat and walk. Like he's, he's doing this thing. He's not even giving them what they want. He is saying, I got it all under control. The word hueos. The word son of man is is the Greek word "huios" H-U-I-O-S. It's used 382 times in the New Testament. It is translated as the son of God, and sometimes it is translated as the son of man, but they are interchangeable in their thing. And every time it's used, it's pointing to the Messiah. He says, so I want you to know that the Messiah has the power to forgive sins. So then he says, get up and walk. He just basically said, I want you to know that the Messiah... Right? Has the power. So he put it right out there. He was messing with everything they were thinking about their ability to sin and be forgiven, about the ability to be healed and and who can do it. And then he really threw the monkey wrench in them because he said, Hoyos. He says, The Messiah. And because I want you to know the Messiah has the ability to do it, then he spoke it and the thing they wanted to see happen do you see what I'm saying he was totally messing with every one of their theological boxes he just like did this big shuffle in their theology and the things that they thought and the things they learned in Pharisee Sunday school Saturday school school, thank you correction well, well noted thank you they were saying, this is not what the Messiah looks like. This is not what the Messiah is going to do. This is what—this is not what the Messiah is going to say. And he's like, okay, you can think that, but I'm going to do it anyway. They couldn't see the Messiah. They couldn't see Jesus as God because of their preconceived notions, because of their theological constructs, their religious education, their denominational background. They couldn't see it. Listen, do not limit God by what you understand about him. Better yet, let me put it this way. Do not limit God by what I or any other pastor understands about him. Because at the end of the day, God is way bigger than what you or I or any other pastor or any... I just, I just got to hang out with the president of Fuller Theological Seminary. He is bigger than what Mr. Lambert thinks and knows of him. God is bigger than that. And his purposes are more powerful than you and I know. He is working so many things at all the time. Do not limit him by our limitations. And at the sound of sound and old time, he cannot get an amen to that. What thing is God asking you to do, but you're saying no because it doesn't reconcile to what you think, to what you were taught in Sunday school 30 years ago? What thing is it? And what are you going to do about that? The fourth question, our final question. Are we willing to risk our comfort That God might reveal His greatness. This week, I was told a story uh, by a friend that happened several years ago. He said this. He said their family was going uh, on a on a mountain hike in the northwestern United States, in the Cascadia region, which is basically the mountain range between uh, like Portland and Seattle. They were going on this hike. And one of their sons was so apprehensive, very, very, very apprehensive about the whole climb thing that he basically decided he wasn't going. So this young son decides he isn't going and he decides that the best way to make it that he doesn't go is he decides that he's going to start whining about it. So he whines the entire ride there. He whines about the climb, he whines about the day, he whines about the snacks that weren't the ones he wanted, he whines about water versus Gatorade, he whines about everything. And it works. His dad is so fed up that he says, there is no way I'm letting you go on this climb with us. You are not going to ruin this experience for the rest of the family. So he told him, he just told him, he says, listen. Don't talk to strangers, but you're not leaving this visitor center and we'll come back and get you in a while. And so they left their son, 10 years old, in a visitor center at a state park and went on this three mountain, three hour climb. It's interesting. So the boy decided that he was going to convince everyone when they came back that his choice was better. And so he literally spent the next three hours in this visitor center reading everything, looking at everything, memorizing everything in the visitor center about the state park, about the mountain that his family was climbing, about the hike, about the trail, about what was on the trail. He memorized everything. And his intent was that when they came back, he was gonna tell them everything that he had learned. And so when they get back a few hours later, he starts to tell them everything. He's everything he learned and he's like, just so excited about all these things he's learned and this this knowledge that he has. And while they've been gone, he's been learning and he just lays it all out there. But when his brothers began to describe what they actually saw and what they actually experienced and what they actually got to climb and what actually happened, the younger brother you could see it on him he felt like his experience it was somehow empty and hollow compared to what his family had experienced he missed out and he felt let down see his apprehension to taking this climb his unwillingness to take the risk his desire for comfort kept him from experiencing something amazing see the visitor center was designed prepare him for the climb. It was designed to prepare him about the mountain. It's designed to prepare him to take the risk of the climb, the experience, and all of that. But by staying there, his experience was so much less than... on Sunday is a visitor center you can memorize a lot about God you can come and hang out here for an hour or two but the reality is, is what happens here is to prepare us equip us for what's to come for the real experience that's out there happens here is only preparation for that Ephesians 2.10 moment that Ephesians 2.10 says that he has great works that he's prepared in advance for us to do church is just the visitor center for any of us to think that experiencing God is this we're missing out missing out and misunderstand what he's really all about what he, we could be experiencing in him if we would only take the risk if we would only press through our discomfort and attempt the climb you and I have to be willing to take a risk, we have to be willing to get out of our comfort zones and to step into a risk zone If we want to experience the power of God, if we want to see the things that we hear about, listen, I would love to think that there would be one day that I will pray over someone and they will come back from the dead. But I got to tell you, there's a lot of stuff that I'm going to have to get through. to get past ourselves. So the question is this, what discomfort are you avoiding that's keeping you from seeing God at work in and through your life and experiencing His power the way that others do? May we not limit our limitless God And in the words of William Carey, may we attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.